at all. Look at all that paper in front of you, Kat. I know, it's lethal. <laughs> well, there's, there's nothing worse than a paper cut. They're mm. horrible. I can, think, I can think of worse things. But, yes. Anyway, what we got coming up today? <laughs> SJ asked me earlier and I said sulfites and she went, oh, what? like, that sounds exciting. Yeah. <laughs> but we can talk about, yeah, sulfur dioxide and sulfites in wine because it is... It's a big an issue part of for it. a lot. Yeah, people talk about it a lot, and we've referred to it probably quite a few times in the recent weeks. Yeah, so let's so look, look into that. We should look into it, really. A bit later on, we're going to be talking about one of my little favourites, little cheeky little number. Yes. Oh, stop it. You kiss your mother with that mouth. It's Riesling. <laughs> it is Riesling, yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Are we tasting? Sorry. Well, oh, maybe, maybe after. Yeah. Uh, but, um, the, well, we will be tasting because <laughs> I have brought in a little surprise to challenge Kath as well. Coming up. Oh, he's going to, for the hard challenges now. Towards the end of the show, you do want to stick around for this because I am challenging Kath and I've been so sneaky. I'm going to catch her out. Let's see if you I will, do it. You will be sneaky because yeah. you nearly always do catch me out. Oh, fantastic. Let's kick it off. Should we dive in? We shall dive in. Dive in. in. To River Radio. Ah, that was the River Radio dive in. So well, we can do right. another dive in. Ooh. It's always hard when things have the same description. I know. <laughs> well, you know, we like to test our presenters. So we're diving in. We're going to go diving straight into sulfates. We are diving straight into sulfates because people talk about them a lot. Yeah. They often talk about how they give them nasty headaches and things of that nature. Is that true? I, well, we talk about well, we need to talk about it in more detail. But history. When we talked about the gadgets and the one that Gemma noted, that's like a stirry thing. Yeah. Um, technical description there. Stirry thing. Stirry thing. And she the wiggles her finger too. in the air. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but those sort of wands and things purport to remove things like histamine, which can be a problem for people. We'll talk about histamine a bit more. That's what actually is usually causing things like red wine headaches. Okay, histamine. Histamine. Yes. So that that you get that when you get hay fever, don't you? It's, yes. a, it's a reaction from the body we against produce it. something. Our mast cells produce histamine to help re- remove an allergy that's from your body. Right. So, yes, I remember yeah. you saying that's why sometimes with, a, with a certain red wines, I used to get very snotty, yeah, for want of a better word. Exactly. But it's yeah. your body working well, Brian. That's, oh, that's a good, good sign. So take, 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 take solace from that. Okay. I, have now, I now have solace. <laughs> yeah. But um, so often it's things, there's other amines as well that come into the mix in that sort of spectrum. Some people are sulfite sensitive, genuinely, um, but it's probably more often not headaches are caused by things like histamine. But sulfur is an additive. It has to be labelled on labels as contains sulfites. And you see that quite often on other foods as well, but particularly on wine bottles now. So does it have a large amount of, of sulfates? Sulfate. Well, this is what we're going to get into, you see. Yeah, OK. Yeah. So, it's, uh, so what is it? Is sul- sulfur is... Is actually, it's a, it's a mineral or is it a... I guess, yeah, strictly speaking, it's a chemical and a mineral, but it's actually a natural byproduct of fermentation. Okay. So all wines will likely contain some sulphur mm-hmm. or sulphite if it's found in the wine because it's a natural byproduct, it's unavoidable. Um, but those are usually quite low. So those will be about nine or eight or nine milligrams per litre to 10 milligrams per litre. So very, li- very little. So, but sulfur is an additive, it's an antioxidant, it's antimicrobial, and it's been used in wine production for a long, long time. So, for, even, for those reasons, to stop the wine yeah, being polluted because in essence, with. It acts like a disinfectant, so it would ah. help cure the issues with bugs and things that could live in the wine and breed and make it cloudy or re ferment, obviously, yeast, which can make things re ferment. Right. It's not desirable, so that was the part of the reason why sulfur used to be used. And I think once upon a time, it helped probably cover up other issues with the wine because it stopped things happening that could happen if they if the sulfur wasn't in there 
So what we've seen in recent years is the sulphur levels naturally have dropped and the permitted levels have become much, much lower because winemaking is much cleaner. Mm-hmm. So there's maximum levels that are imposed. But I think there's references to people like Pliny talk about mentioning sulphur use. Who? Pliny. Pliny, Pliny the Elder. Who's Pliny the Elder? Someone significant in Greek and Cato. And really? Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah, it? Like, Has everybody heard of Pliny? I've never heard like, of the bloke. A bit like Homer, those kind of guys. They all hung what, out together. the Simpsons? Exactly. <laughs> Hang out with Pliny. That would be a conversation I'd like to watch. Um, but just for usefulness for people, if you see within Europe things like E220 on the label, that's sulphur. Okay. So if you see that on a label, it contains it because it doesn't always say the words, which is useful maybe for some people. And if it's just 220 elsewhere outside of Europe, that's the same thing, obviously. That's its sort of number that it's given as a food additive. So I'm guessing that it has... Uh, little or no taste or odour. Well, you, you'll often feel like it's an acrid sensation, a bit similar to, you know when someone lights a charcoal fire or, or a proper coal fire? Oh, yeah. And there's that, you sometimes get that acrid smoke that catches in the back of your throat yeah. or your nose. It will create a similar sensation to that, but without, obviously, those obvious smells. But sulfurous smells that we know, things like, obviously, boiled cabbage is a sulfurous smell because they contain sulfurophane. Those sort of aromas you used to get more commonly in wines when lots and lots of sulfur used to be used. Okay. So it, it can have an odour, but very often you just pick it up as sort of an acrid kind of sensation in the back of your nose or back of your throat. Okay. And, sorry, 100 million questions, as always. Um, an organic wine, then, would have it or wouldn't have it? We'll get on to that, but yes, oh. they have different limits. Ah, okay. And that's fairly recent legislation that, that means that they have different limits. Yeah. So, in essence, if, if you suffer from asthma, yeah. then there's a likelihood that you would potentially be more affected by sulphur. But my husband suffers from asthma, and it's purely anecdotal. Never seen him bothered ever. <laughs> Not with the wine. And he seems to be able to consume just about anything. Because even beer can all have sulphur and things in it. So, oh. you know... He, he never seems to have a problem, but I guess it depends on the person. And if you do have a sensitivity, I think you just have to avoid it. But you'd usually know, because we'll get onto this in a little bit, actually the things that sulphur's in. So in essence, as we said before, sulphur is perfectly used, purposely used by winemakers to help protect the wine. And it can be used at different stages in the winemaking process, from picking the grapes, when things like potassium metabite sulphate are put in the powder on the grapes to prevent oxidation when they're harvested, if they're split. Okay. Um, which is why hand harvesting often is regarded as superior, because if you're putting them carefully into boxes and they're not being squashed or being broken prior to reaching the winery, then they're less likely to oxidise, therefore there's less, less need to use a sulphur product. Sure. Um, but... I suppose in the beginning of the 20th century, people would happily whack in up to 500 milligrams per litre of sulphur. And into sort of the 70s, 60s and 70s, winemaking hygiene and the technology that we were using started to improve drastically. And so those levels started to come down. But the main reason was to prevent re-fermentation. And there was probably more of a trend for slightly sweeter styles of wine back then than there is now. So what happened is in the 90s, the EU created maximum limits for total sulphur. And they said 250 milligrams per litre. But those were further brought down. And so nowadays, in red wines, it's 150 milligrams per litre is the maximum that can be used. That seems quite a lot. Um, Yep. 200 for whites and rosés. Yeah. Um, 235 for sparkling wines and 250 for sweeter styles of wines. And then if they're very, very sweet, they can obviously have more because it prevents re-fermentation. But you, but you said that generally there's between eight... That's natural. That's what occurs oh, naturally. naturally. Oh, yes. I see. And so then it's winemaker choice. Now, these are maximums that are put in place and they're lower for 
um, for organic wines. So it comes down to 100 grams per litre, milligrams per litre for reds, 150 milligrams per litre for whites and rosés. So they're naturally lower and it's part of organic production you adhere to that but most winemakers if they're making their wines well they don't necessarily add anything close to the upper limits no because the wines cleaner doesn't require it are there any alternatives to sulfur or is it just that you can use to disinfect for want of a better word the, um, the well there's people who don't use it who don't put added sulfur in and that falls under the moniker really these days of what's called the natural wine movement um and we'll we'll look at that one week because <laughs> i keep saying i avoid that one because it's quite a contentious topic for a lot of people is it um but there is if people want to know so if people want to know how much sulfur they're drinking there is actually a really useful resource there's a fellow master of wine called isabel legeron mm-hmm. and she runs an annual or she was running an annual wine fair that was in the uk in london um in new york and various other places as well i mean it was a proper big wine fair and it was called raw wine and the idea was everyone there was presenting wines that fell more or less under this this natural wine umbrella to promote it but she put in a limit for the sulfur levels the wines can have so she said up to 70 milligrams per litre regardless so by putting that in place she controls it all and on her website which is raw wine every wine that's been shown is listed and it tells you the sulfur level for that wine in that vintage okay so why is that contentious it seems like again it's a good thing to be able to produce good okay, so, wine with less additives so you might have noticed that um some of the wines had different upper levels. So we have less sulphur maximums for a red wine than we do for a white wine and a rosé. And they're the obvious ones to look at. And there's reason for that. And so if you have a red wine, you have some antioxidant properties present in your wine. So you've got things like anthocyanins and polyphenols. So the colouring compounds and the tannins have antioxidant properties. So in theory, a red wine then requires less sulfur dioxide to be added to it at any point in or after the winemaking process a white wine in theory doesn't have those or very rarely and certainly won't have as many because it's obviously a white wine it's not fermented on its skins and a sweet wine obviously has sugar present so it requires potentially more sulfur to prevent any rogue yeast causing it to re-ferment and giving you a fizzy wine so you're getting a wine that's a completely different style to what you were expecting mm-hmm. so if you're making a natural wine and you're using less sulfur or no sulfur is being added, you need to either make sure that your winemaking process is incredibly clean because it's not just re-fermentation that it prevents. Any bacterial spoilage or protein, you know, particularly bacterial issues are held at bay and prevented because it's acting like it's not just an antioxidant, it's got the microbial, antimicrobial properties as well. So in essence, you need to have more. So if you want to make a white wine, for example, with no sulphur, very often they're skin contact wines. And stylistically, they are completely different to a white wine that you would probably be familiar with. Right. Yeah. Okay. But it, sound, it sounds to me like it's, it's a good thing if they have to work harder and they have to have stricter or, or yeah. more skillful winemaking to, to, to do it without sulphur, then that's, that's a wine I want, isn't it? Well, in theory, yes. From my experiences working as a wine buyer for many years, those that had to travel longer distances, particularly across an equator, uh, often didn't fare. So even, perhaps in temp- it, even in alleged temperature-controlled vessels, um, right. containers. So perhaps not everybody has mastered the... Well, and also, it, they're, they're more... They're, 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 you know, they're not as protected. And, yeah. and the thing is, 
if someone's using it in sensible volumes and they're not getting carried away and just piling in loads of stuff to hide errors and mistakes, then surely it's not necessarily a bad thing to use it if the wine you get is the style that you actually want it to be when you get to drink it. Yeah, sure. So I think it's, it's about, again, it's one of those things I, f- I feel very much about finding balance. And again, smaller producers on the whole will not needlessly be adding something to a product. So what would you say is the, in your Mm. opinion and that's all it is i know um is a good level of sulfates then what if i was a bit concerned about that maybe i do have asthma and it's uh, what 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 would be um your opinion should i be looking for on those levels i think there's lots of really good wines that do sit at the limit that isabel put in place there's some really good wines and below it there are some people that naturally just don't need to i would say probably veer towards reds because they're more likely to be lower in in sulfur um, and I would probably, but it's hard to say because you often don't know. I mean, I, I regularly ask producers for what we call fish technique. So the winemaking and the, the background, the viticulture for the grapes. And it's funny, you get so much detail on oak usage, percentage of third fill barrels. You get information on your acidity and they break it down between tartaric and everything else. You know, the malolactic, everything, soil types, all detail. And it's really hard sometimes you have to say, well, what's the sulphur? Because they all know what the sulphur is. Yeah. Because it has become almost contentious. And in a way, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be contentious. Um, you asked before about alternatives. Yeah. Weirdly, um, they're looking, there are experiments being run with glutathione. There we go, another technical word. So glutathione is a tripeptide and it's an amino acid. We, we create it in our bodies. We create it in our liver. It's our master detoxifier in the human body. Really? And it's a tripeptide made up of three different... Um, I think it's oh, glycine, cysteine, and one other amino acid. Oh, yeah, I think you're going a bit too far into it now. Yeah, Kathy, but basically, <laughs> it's a, it, 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 but plants also create it as an antioxidant. So they're looking at maybe whether that could be used um, instead of sulfur. But the big issue as well with sulfur is it's often used to clean barrels, to make barrels and things hygienic, um, because you don't want to be putting things that could oxidise, like peroxide, to clean a barrel. Um, steam people use, and people who are really diligent, they clean their barrels with steam as well. But I think in the EU, I think only sulphur and steam are possibly permitted for barrel cleaning. So it is a complex topic, and I can understand why it then becomes contentious, but I don't think it should ever be labelled as a villain, because it does serve a purpose. And to put it into context, we could run through things that you come across every day that probably have more sulphur than a bottle of wine. So... Really, anything in a plastic tub or anything covered with cellophane that you buy will probably be dosed with SO2. Oh. Yeah. So canned and frozen fruit and vegetables can be treated with SO2. Right. it won't necessarily be labelled. Um, all fruit and vegetable juices. No. Yeah, well, if you think, and a good example, dried, oh, yeah. dried fruits, so apricots, raisins, even coconut. So, you know, when you get apricots that are brown and you get apricots that are bright orange, yeah. the difference is the brown ones, which are usually organic, have no sulphur. So the packaging and the dosing of the sulphur to keep the other ones orange, it's the use of sulphur dioxide. Well, well, well. Yeah. So sort of jams, jellies, preserves, they can have it as well. Goodness. I mean, mm. any, you, the first thing you mentioned there was um, anything covered in plastic or cellophane. Yeah, so often like even bag, bags of salad. Any, yeah. Everything then? Any pre-packed fruit, yeah. Pretty much everything. Yes, yeah, so if you think, if you, you chop an apple up, how yeah. quickly does it go brown? It goes brown pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. And you often have to squeeze lemon juice on or something to prevent it because... Or just eat it quickly. Or just eat it quickly, yeah. But if you're preparing it in advance, and yet you can buy pre-prepared fruit... That's and chopped it, and... And yeah. it's not gone brown. Oh, God, yeah. I should, have, I should have known. Yeah, so that's the thing. So there's often more 
sulfur or sulfites possibly present in those things than there is in a bottle of wine. And would you know sort of the levels compared to a bottle of wine? So if we say or an average bottle of wine might be, I'm just guessing, Let's but 100. 100. Yeah, I don't know. Because they don't put it on the packaging, do No, they, they don't. Ooh, no. The naughty little... So useful things as well. So the the E number, as we said, is E220 if you want to look out for it. Yeah. Um, But things like sodium sulfite, sodium bisulfite, sodium metabisulfite, potassium bisulfite, potassium metabisulfite and sulfur dioxide are all terminology that could be used that basically result in the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've got leftover from um, Sam and SJ's show here, a bag of, well, monster size hoops. Hula hoops. <laughs> yeah. They're probably covered in the stuff. I don't know if they would be. Would they be? Because do they need to preserve them know. like that? Because they're sort of, I think they've probably got a sell. What's the use by date on them? Because usually it's things with, mind you, I suppose pickles and relishes and ketchups can have them. And Hold on. I, I'm rustling now because I'm looking at the ingredients just out of yeah, interest. Yeah, beer and cider as well. Mm. Yeah. So what, what can we have that's totally sort of naturally produced without any of this additive business going on? You have to grow it yourself, don't you? Yeah, basically. <laughs> she said helpfully. Yeah, yeah basically. So, so there you go. That, that's why then we are looking at um, yeah. the, the Bryski and Kath winery in my garden. Yeah. Ice wine, still on the table, but, you know. So I, I don't think it's a bad thing and I don't think it should be demonised. There, there's worse things out there that we come across on a daily basis that could probably do us more harm sure. than a little bit of sulphur. And also some people claim it's good. So if you think about it, people encourage people to eat leafy greens and things that, are, that contain sulphur compounds as well. So, you know, I yeah. don't know. I think too much of anything that's added to something isn't good. But if it's kept minimal and it's controlled, then I, I think it's OK. So, OK, I've got a couple of questions then before go we go to our first track and um, head towards menu matching, which is really all oh, stick around for that. Um, first question is, um, do you think then that this business of the high sulfates is headache, hangover. Because I'll be honest, sometimes mm. there has been certain bottles, and I, can, I know a, a certain type of white wine yeah. that I just keep... It is a Sauvignon Blanc as well. Um, and I keep away from it because it I know that's going to give me a headache. It could be a combination of that, and it could be higher in histamine because of the way it's been produced. But also, it could be to do with alcohol level because if you drink too much of something that doesn't agree with you necessarily and it's got ethanol in it, it forms a low-level forms of inflammation in your body, which uh-huh. is why we feel crappy after we drink stuff like that. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, Depletes your glutathione, ironically. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should have glutathione with those tablets. You can get it, and ironically, yes, if you get glutathione as a supplement and you mix it with water, it often smells sulfurous, which I think is ironic. ironic. So yeah. it must have some sort of, it must, there must be a link between those sulfurous compounds, but I'm afraid my... Chemistry, my, yeah, and my yeah molecular biology isn't quite good enough. <laughs> okay, so this this one is going back to something you said earlier on, co- totally off the the subject, really. I think mm. of um, sulfurs, but you mentioned um, three quarter barrels, three quarter full barrels. What's that about? Um, Why no, do they do um, that? Aged, yeah, so um, different aging barrels. So when you buy a new barrel, yeah, and it's new oak. It's just it's first fill and it's new oak, and they haven't been used before. But if you reuse that barrel the next year, they'll call it second fill. Oh, and then oh, so third, third fill. fill. Fourth fill, fifth fill, sixth fill, yeah. Oh, so okay. they'll often break all that down for you in a, in a feature tank. How many fills do you get out of a barrel? As many as you like. So, I mean, there's some big old massive casks in places that have been going for ever. Smaller barriques usually have a lifespan. People don't use them beyond, partly for hygiene reasons, because it gets harder and harder to keep them clean. But some they go on a long time. 
long, long time. Well, well, well. Yeah, there depends we go. on what you're trying to do. Third barrel, fourth barrel. There you go. Yeah. See, so you really want to impress somebody at a dinner party when they pour you a glass of wine. I'd just say go, this is 50% new oak, 50% second fill. Yes. Oh, <laughs> then we get in the terminology which will really blow people's yeah. minds. Yeah, this is definitely a third fill. What? Yeah. Just just a hint of oak. Yes. Just adding a little bit of a condiment, a bit of complexity. No. <laughs> sound like we know what we're talking about using that sort of language. Fantastic. Right, so what's the first song of today's show? It's very tenuous. Blinding yeah. lights. I like it. I like it too. Yeah. Let's do it. Don't go anywhere because we're talking about Riesling. And Riesling is a good reason to, <laughs> Be to stick it around. <laughs>
you give one quick twitch and the thing is done. Oh, well, there you go. That one always. <laughs> always tickles me fancy. Exactly. There exactly. we go. Lovely. So, um, we are... Um, Menu matching, aren't we? No, we're not. We're um, no, off we're the not, beaten we're not, tracking. We're, we're not allowed to tempt ourselves. Although I have to say, having these hula hoops in front of us today, they're literally, you turn them around us, they're facing me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, when I first walked in, I thought the smell was something completely different. It wasn't pleasant. No, I wondered what it was when I walked yeah, in, and then yeah. I just pointed out what it was, and I was like, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Well, didn't, they didn't say that, but I put two and two together yes. as well. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, We're I was Marinating in our roast, what, what flavour is it? Roast beef? Yeah. <laughs> hula hoops. <laughs> You've directed That's them at me. That's not right. That's what they are, aren't they? Yeah, it is, it is. But it's not right that we've got them. So um, let's um, let's go off the beaten track. We are going off the beaten track. So imagine walking down a little cobbled I love street, this little, little cobbled street in yeah. in Alsace, Alsace, Alsace season, even Alsace is so beautiful. Yeah, really pretty. Yeah. Oh, we're there now. There's a coolness in the air, yeah. but still yeah. the sun's out. Yeah, vineyards, beautiful sort of slightly Germanic houses on cobbled streets leading down to slopes with vineyards on in the Vosges Mountains. Oh, uh, a Frenchman hills. rides past on a bicycle. Bonjour. <laughs> We're nailing the stereotypes today. <laughs> We're nailing them, Brian. <laughs> and a German with lederhosen is dancing. In the distance in the Rhine. <laughs> OK, so now we've done all those stereotypes. Yeah. Um, we are actually talking about Riesling. We're and, talking and about Riesling, Do you know yeah. what? I don't know why I'm so excited about this, but it is, it is one of those wines that I do... My ears pick up or, or yeah. I just get a little bit... When somebody goes, oh, offers me a Riesling, I say, ooh... Even even above a Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, do you know what? I, saw, I had a, an Alberino the other day. Oh. I didn't know that you were also a Riesling fan. Yeah. Oh, sorry, you hadn't, I'm just digressing because I was just so pleased to hear that. But what was your Alberino? Uh, what was it? Oh, I couldn't tell you. It was just an Alberino. It was nice. <laughs> it was nice, but you enjoyed it. That's the most important thing yeah. with all wine is that you actually enjoy it. Yes, yeah, so I didn't have very much. I had less, not more. Less, not more. Exactly. Yeah. We well, go. that's the other thing with sulfites. Just, just, just to circle back quickly. It's my advice is, yeah, drink less. Yeah. <laughs> then you probably won't be affected as badly. Well, that's right, yeah. yeah. And drink better, because I think probably things that are produced on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I, do there, well, I don't think there's any large-scale production of natural wines. So I suppose it's, that, you know, yeah. they sit at opposite ends of a spectrum. Do you know what? I, I came up with my own... Although ex- I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, someone tell me. My, well, uh, yeah. But I came up with my own... So I don't know if it's an analogy or a little thing saying that... Um, if if you have like a small boutique winemaker, it's like going to uh, you know a really small little French restaurant. It could be a Michelin star. It could be lovely. Yeah. Or if you go for a you know a big uh, the one with the creek. I think Jacob had something to do with it. Yes. Um, and various wines along that. It's kind of like you're going to McDonald's. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. If you enjoy that once in a while, go for it. Fill go your boots. It. Yeah. But it's not you know for the connoisseur. But also, I think you get a story, so you don't even have to be a connoisseur, I don't think. If you, no. You know, you real people. Yeah. Are, yeah. They're really vested in what they do. They love what they do. They want to communicate about it to you and make something that will bring you joy, and I think that's always quite nice. It is. Go to the yeah. cellar door, like we were talking about last yeah. uh, last week. Yeah, there's cellar doors. Yes. Oh. Exactly. So, okay, anyway. so we are um, in slightly cooler regions because we're, yes. we're white, yes. and Germany and spring, springs yeah. to mind. Yeah. Um, so um, so what, what do we need to know about a Riesling then? Well, I suppose your headlines, it's an aromatic white grape variety. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite a simple one. 
they believe that it originated around the Rhine, um, or at least near the Mosul in Germany, because that's where most of it's actually produced, even in Germany. Um, but also you'll find it in lots of other places. It has a bit of a murky history. Oh, does it? Yeah, because oh, it's not entirely me. clear. <laughs> it's one of those things where you're trying to get to the bottom of it, you're like, really? But um, the first mentions of it, the first recorded mentions, date back to the 1400s, so 1435. Um, they were mentioned that some Riesling vines were sold to a German count. I couldn't find out who sold them to the German count. But, yeah, so that's sort of when it was first noticed that they were made. And they became very important then. So they were then recommended to be the, the Archbishop of Trier, which is not far from the Mosul. Um, he wanted all green grapes that were planted to be Riesling. And oh. He decreed that in sort of the 1780s. Crikey, he, he liked it then. Yeah. So obviously to just improve wine quality, he obviously wanted to ensure that anything, anyone gave him something to drink, he'd want to drink it. Yeah. That's, wow. I suppose maybe that's throwing your weight around in a way that's... Good plan. Exactly. A good plan. <laughs> but um, in the 1850s, fun fact, it was more sought after than things like Champagne and Bordeaux and Burgundy. Oh, wow. To the extent that it was the most Riesling, particularly the sweet Riesling styles, were the most, because they were really the only styles made then, most sought after wines in the world and served at all the royal tables. Is that right? Yeah. So that was the 1850s. And, yeah. Um, so how's, and it, how's it sort of bared up over the years then? Is it still... Pretty badly. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say... Yeah, it's, it's a real underdog now. It seems to be off the, well, off the beaten track. Yeah, it, well, exactly. Look at you. Brilliant. Your See what I did there? Quite impressed. Yeah, yeah. No, basically, yeah, it's become very unpopular. There was a, it's like all these things. There's an enormous rise in popularity of something often, and then it tails off. So, particularly things like Liebfraumilch, so, and Hock, Black Tower Blue Nun, those yeah, sort of things, which aren't usually Riesling. They're usually made with Mutter Turgau, but they sort of what people started to associate with German wine, and obviously Riesling, and it sort of tarred with the same brush. And as the popularity waned and other things came in, it, it fell off a cliff. But well, in terms of quality and price, some of the best wines. Yeah. Oh, my God, they're delicious. Whatever happened to Blue Nun? Still going. Is it? I think even fairly recently, it was probably still in the top 20 brands sold in the UK. So oh I have goodness. a theory that there's lots of closet Blue Nun and Lieb fans. <laughs> so they've got their friends around for dinner. You know, they're cracking open their swanky champagne. They drink some really nice Bordeaux. They've taken the time to decant it. And they yeah. finally get everyone out the door. They're like, quick, get the Black Tower okay. and Blue yeah. Nun out. Why not, eh? Yeah. Good Although wines, one you enjoy. Did, we had a staff tasting sort of party thing and everyone had to bring bottles. And one of my colleagues at the time, we all taste everything blind brought a wine that actually wasn't that bad all of us were like it's pretty old but it's all right mm. turned out to be old blue nun from the well, 90s was it really yeah goodness okay so, so what, what can we expect then with our riesling then on the nose what are we looking so at So on the nose usually common characteristics are citrus stone fruit white flowers and you ready for this mm -hmm. petrol or kerosene yeah i've heard i heard mm. that before petrol kerosene doesn't sort of spring to mind as something you'd want to be drinking but um I exactly it's a combination. And I think it sometimes puts people off especially it's usually when it's older um for german rieslings and things grown in cooler climates that kerosene petroly character starts to come with evolution and age or it seems to appear slightly earlier in wines that come from the new world and there's a suggestion that it could be to do with the ripening of the the terpenes and the monoterpenes in the grape skins and so increased sunlight hours pushes up the propensity for those aromatic compounds to make their way into the wine basically to be developed okay so just before we go on you're throwing words around like terpenes yeah. and something else terpenes like yeah. that's the, just normal for people to so something they're different flavoring compounds oh, basically okay. in aroma compounds or aroma compounds that we perceive right so things like pyrazines which you get in sauvignon blanc create that sort of gooseberry grassy 
gooseberry grass, grassy asparagus character oh, okay. and bell pepper character and so yeah terpenes and things and they're all this little compounds yeah 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 but but actually um although that doesn't sound particularly attractive it's, it's combined yeah. with those other things it's, in a fresh delicious. sort of yes. light way so you would expect that high acidity as well with riesling riesling's a high acidity grape variety yeah and it ripens late so that you, you can go through a growing season that maybe doesn't always perform the way you want it to. But it does benefit from having some sunlight to push its ripeness on. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, it makes these really fresh, juicy wines really juicy because they have this lovely tangy acidity. Okay, so um, on, on the palate then, so we, we're getting the same sort of things. We're getting yeah. the light, um, citrusy, yeah, again, so some flowery Yeah, exactly, things. florals, citruses. Depends where you are as well as to what you get. So particularly, I think, for me, one of the markers for things like Clare Valley Riesling from Australia was oh, an yeah. amazing lime juice character. Like, really, there's a sense of purity and clarity to the wines. Uh, do you know what? I'm, I'm pretty sure I've been to the Clare Valley. Is that near Barossa? Yes, you go a bit further north. They have the Adelaide Hills, Adelaide which Hills has a real German Valley. influence. Yeah, yeah. Up and then there. you go up into the Clare. Yeah, yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah, and they make amazing, amazing Rieslings. But you also get Riesling made in places like um, Oregon and Washington State make amazing Riesling in America, but also some brilliant ones in California, even. Really? There's the Wurtz Riesling, which is made by the Bedrock Wine Company, which. Might have been in one of my subscription packs this month. Might have packed a few of those bottles today. Oh, hello. Just drop that in. Absolutely delicious. And the yeah. guy who owns the vineyard has the most crazy handlebar moustache. Okay. Fun fact. Bear that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously New Zealand, Australia are particularly good. You'll even find it popping up in other places. But in the old world, as we like to call it, Germany is, is the heartland. But Austria and Alsace that you mentioned earlier also make fantastic Rieslings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And stylistically... It's really, this is why I think we all love it so much in the wine trade, is that it makes everything from wonderful bone-dry, crisp wines right through to lusciously sweet wines and sparkling wines. So, Does it blend particularly well with anything, or is it more of a it's, standalone? It, usually you associate it as a single varietal, but we tasted one from Alsace recently, which was a blend of Pinot Gris, which often has lower acidity and a, and a bigger body and a fuller mouthfeel and a Riesling, which obviously is a lighter body and higher acidity. And it was fantastic. It was the most wonderfully easy-drinking, beautifully flavoured wine. And it's, un- it's unusual to find... When you do find them, they use them in... They make these things called Edelsvicker in Germany. Mm-hmm. Sorry, in Germany, in Alsace, which is a blend across a lot of their key grape varieties, like Gewürz, Pinot Gris, um, Silvana, Riesling, and they'll have a blend in there sometimes. But yeah. very often, it's a single varietal. Most of the time, it's single varietal. And actually, handily, usually put on the label, so you know it's a Riesling. Do you know what? I think we need to add uh, this location, um, Alsace and mm. Germany, to our tour. The Gastronomic know, endurance test, Alsace. It's amazing. Yeah. So do you know, like, Top Gear, do, or not Top Gear, what is it? The, uh, the Grand <laughs> Turismo or whatever. They, they do their tour of age yes. or something. Yes. So Uncorked will do the tour, tour of pretty much anywhere we want to go, okay. where the best place is. I'll hold you to that. All on expense to River Radio. Yeah. That, it's the heart of the Thames Valley. It is. There you go. Um, <laughs> just, it's getting more and more outlandish it, it is, really isn't is. It? Next, getting next, more and more outlandish next we'll be uh, serving some sort of Riesling on Virgin Galactic in space exactly. come on Sam get you all out exactly off to space so yeah so dry sweet sort of semi-sweet styles so obviously Germany is the place where you most readily see the different sugar levels and the slightly different sweetness levels for Riesling but they, they pop up in other places too and it makes the most fabulous dessert wines and it works as both a late harvest grape variety that's picked later so that would be much sweeter said, yes works for ice wine 
as oh, we talked about before. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, and it'll also work being betriotized, so it benefits also from noble rot, and you still have a Riesling character. So that's the rot that hits the grapes, usually in the autumn. And if it's followed by warmer, drier conditions, it creates botrytis rather than grey rot. Mm-hmm. So it isn't just sort of destroying your whole vineyard of grapes. And it, the, the, it looks quite unpleasant when you see it, but basically the mould extracts moisture so that the grapes concentrate, so you get concentrated sugar and acidity. Yeah. And that's what they make dessert wine. So if I, what, what would you recommend? If, if I was looking, maybe, maybe I'm mm-hmm. listening to this, maybe I'm listening to you now, and I've never tried a Riesling because, you know, I'm a Sauvignon Blanc yep. sort of person. Um, have you got a couple that you think, oh, if you're going to try a Riesling, go yeah, for that one? Yeah, I think if you want to try dry styles, genuinely Austria and Germany are brilliant. Yeah. So if you head into Austria anywhere from the Camptal, the Wachau or Wagram and elsewhere, but particularly those three regions make amazing, um, yeah, Krems, Kremstall, those wines. So people like Brundlmeier, but even Vinia Wachau, which is um, also sort of Domain Wachau, all those places. There's loads of smaller growers as well, like Emmerich Knoll, who make phenomenal, phenomenal research. I'm listening to this. I'm thinking. sat in Windsor oh, right now. I'm think. sat in Reading. I'm thinking. If you want I'm to try a the... classic one, yeah. you can buy in the supermarket, Dr. Lucen. Dr. Lucen? Yeah, German Riesling. Now, if sales of that suddenly go soaring <laughs> across the Thames Valley, we should contact the old doctor. Because it's accessible and easy to find, and it's really good quality. Yeah. Yeah, really nice. What is it again, Dr. Who? Dr. Lucen. Dr. Ernie Lucen. He's a character. Lucen. Yeah. Dr. Lucen. Lovely. I'm going to be looking for that. Yeah. Can you get in, like, literally, can I go to Sainsbury's and get it? Or Tesco or to, yeah. Lidl? Yeah. But I, I, it's, very, it's rare to be disappointed by a Riesling, I find you have to know if, if it's got something like cabinet spate laser or aus laser on the label or trocken beer and aus laser it's going to be sweet in style but if it says just trocken and it's from germany or austria then it will be dry because trocken, trocken is, dry. is dry okay that well that's a good one make a note of that trocken is dry yeah. so that because i'd be going for those ones if you don't want to have a style that's sweet then look at australia and new zealand because okay. it's they'll, they'll reliably near they'll say if they're They'll say dry Riesling usually, but they're nearly always going to be. And also look at the alcohol. If the alcohol level is really 10 degrees or less, then it's likely to have some residual sugar. But if you've got slightly more alcohol, it's given you an indicator that it's been fermented to dryness. Yeah. Okay. So that's the other thing you can look at. We spoke about soils before and stuff. Yes. Does Riesling lend its hand or does it prefer a certain type of Love soil? Slate. Slate? Yeah. There you go. Blue slate particularly if you're in the Mosul. How about but, that? Uh, but there's some slates that are full of fossils, so the different sorts of slate will impact the flavour, and some are sort of, you can see um, strata in them that's, that's oxidised, because there's iron present and they're quite ferric, um, but you can also get different colours of slate, but yeah, it seems to like blue slate a lot. Oh. And it acts like a giant radiator, which helps with the ripening, because the, the slate heats up in the sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, mm, interesting. And mm. they and then this is something that I don't think I've tried that much. Is the sparkling riesling? Yeah, sect. It's not hugely available over here. No, but yeah, it's certainly Germany, Austria, lots and lots of sect. And it can be made as a traditional method, but often it's made in the same way that prosecco is made. So I'd never really heard of of sect before. It's S E K T. Yes, and that's sect. that's basically a sparkling white wine that yeah. it's called prosecco or or, or it's there, cava but, yeah, it's or whatever. Sort of the Germanic regions names sparkly for sort of, stuff yeah lovely I'm a, and it's not always made with Riesling but often it is yeah could, is there um, is, there, is there a website we could go to and look for all these interesting sites of wines or, or would it be you know I don't know maybe we go to um, 
grape and something. Grape what and nectar. Well, yeah, we, grape and nectar. We, grape and nectar is wonderful. Obviously, I'm massively biased, yeah. but we more we we do more offers and subscriptions. But okay. if people want advice, yeah, and help finding wines, we're good at doing that as well. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. do lots of consultancy you, for people. Do you rate these these sort of things like Virgin Wines or Lithwaite's or all these sort of places? Do, do they <laughs> or are they just actually still there? You're getting your Jacobs Creek at a bit of a discount. You might as well just go to the supermarket because I kind of like going off and finding these little. Yeah, I think I, I'm I'm all for supporting sort of small merchants. I think yeah. any small wine shop makes me excited and I want to go in and have an explore and see what they've got sure and you can speak to people who love wine and they'll always have tasted something or have tasting samples that you can experience and taste and try before you buy and I love that yeah but I also think anyone to a certain extent who makes wine accessible for people so they can find it and enjoy stuff it's it can be good yeah that is the difference is I mean I, I'm I know I'm biased towards this because I live in Cookham but the the there's the, the butcher's wine yeah. cellar down there exactly and and Paul there is yeah you know, I'd go in and I'd say do you know what Paul I fancy something like exactly. this that. and he goes oh do you know what have a, have a little taste of that Brian see what you think yeah. and it's nice because you get a little taste and it's like mm, I, he gave him a little taste of something the other day and I was like oh Goodness, no, I can't, oh, no, yuck. Exactly. Um, and I was thinking, oh, I'm glad I didn't spend £7 on a glass for that. Exactly. But actually, yeah. um, the vast majority of the time, well, every time I go but in... But I do think, yeah, support your local... We've got yeah. grape expectations just over the road here oh, yeah, in Marlow. That's right. yeah. yeah, And you'll see them everywhere now. They're popping up. So in a way, the benefit of larger entities, both supermarkets selling wine and larger mail-order companies like Lathwaite's, is that they, they both serve a function, but without those big things existing... The other side of the coin doesn't appear, which is the small merchants who specialise. And they're all over the country. And you can order online from lots of them as well and find just interesting, fun wines. And they've usually got information. But if they're local to you and you can physically walk in and they get to know you, they get to know what you like when they get something in. It's it's that whole thing. It's like if you get to know your butcher or you get to know your greengrocer, you just all the things that they get something new in that they think you'll enjoy. You get the heads up. That's right. It's well, just we're a talking, nicer relationship. Yeah, we were talking about um, somewhere in Nettlebed, uh, just outside of Henley mm. on Thames, weren't we? The cheese place. The cheese place. Nettlebed the, cheese. Yeah. yeah. <gasps> Witheridge, my favourite cheese. I think at the moment. Do you know what? I think it's um, Simon Williams. Is um, I mm. know Simon, who is in upstairs, downstairs. He's on the Archers. Actually, he's one of the main characters in the Archers. Very I think it's cool. His niece or his daughter who runs yeah. that place. Amazing cheeses. Yeah. Well, there's, there's the whole country. We've got a country full of amazing stuff that yeah. we're supporting. So why, why would you go to the massive, great, big if you places when local. you can go to these artisan little and boutique... And they're passionate, passionate people oh, as well. Yeah. I know what I'm going to be doing as soon as the show's over. What? Going to a little artisan place somewhere. Buy some food and drink. Yeah. Sounds Cheese. perfect. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, listen, we're still to come. We are going to look and investigate what goes well with Riesling in our menu match. So if you're planning on trying a Riesling, then you want to stick around to find out some of that cuisine and food. And, and then also, I fear the challenge, Kath, is, is truly horrific. It's this in front of me now. is what we have been waiting for. This is one of the biggest challenge Caths that has ever taken place. Oh, God. And I am confident that i'm going to catch her out this week we're going to find out don't not go me, anywhere I'm quite confident you are as well <laughs> that's all coming up right after this and i give up forever to touch you because i know that you feel me somehow you're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be 
the soundtrack to life in the Thames Valley. River Radio. On the web. To the Batmobile. Let's go. On your mobile. Hello. And on Alexa too. River Radio. That's it. Hmm. I pronounce that River Radio, but I'm always working on how I say things and I might not have it right. <laughs> <laughs> Both of us in a little world of our own there. Oh, we it's finished. Oh, oh, oh we're, we're, we're here for a reason, aren't we? We're supposed we're to be doing here, something. We are here for a reason. Well, we have been talking about Riesling, and now we are going to match it with something. We're we going are. we're going to dive in. We've done that. We're going we're to menu match. match. You're mixing it. Well, you've got Come one on. bang on, and the others you've kind of, yeah. Well. You're merging it. Merging it, you know. <laughs> oh, look, listen to that, eh? Yeah, that's that's that little bit of sect, isn't it? Yeah, it's sect today. Exactly, that's exactly what it is today. Oh, lovely! Oh, lovely! So, um, we've been talking about riesling, or yeah. perhaps we might even mention a sparkling riesling yeah. um, from the Germain area and north of <laughs> Germain area. They often have it on breakfast buffets. Really? Yeah, it's one of the first things I noticed when I was first travelling for work in Austria and Germany. I remember thinking, oh, oh that's so impressive. Early start. Exactly, bit bit too uh, bit too professional for me. That I wouldn't oh, couldn't cope with that. No, 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 no. But okay, Amaz- amazing breakfast though, like a real spread. Do you know what? Fantastic. I've spent some time in Austria and mm. driving on the the motorways and through Germany mm. to get to Austria. Sometimes, what they do the motorway service stations. The food there is unbelievable. It's amazing. Compared to ours. Yeah, I know. When you go and there's a Burger King and a Wimpy and happy to have a, car a picnic. Greg's. Very happy to have a car picnic over there. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. You go in there, there's a full buffet. They've got the lot. Yeah, amazing looking sort of breads and cheeses. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I think we're missing. We're doing something wrong and, you know, come on service stations throughout the up, UK. Up your game. Up your game. Exactly. We want a buffet with some Riesling. <laughs> Sparkling. Come on now. So, um, as always, um, we, we, first Break of all, we look at, it. we look at the, the area these things come from. So, yep. German, traditionally Germany and... Bratwurst and sauerkraut. Well, there we go. Oh, what's, the, what's the next item? All right, off we go. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, good, really good sauerkraut or choucroute, as it's called, and it's in France and Alsace, mm. is often cooked with Riesling. Is it really? Yes. Goodness. And it can be quite delicious, actually. Yeah. No, I do like sauerkraut if, yeah. it's, if it is not too tangy. Exactly. Yeah. And it's quite tasty. Yes. So, obviously, that's the first choice. A good old schnitzel is another choice. Ah, oh, schnitzel. Yeah. Yes. But, as we said, every style of wine is made. So, the world is once again your lobster, Brian. It, it really is, isn't it? So- I mean... Stylistically, they're usually lighter in body and fresher in style, so you might not want something too big and heavy with them. Right. But but especially ones with just a hint of residual sweetness are brilliant with genuinely hot food and spicy food because the sugar balance is working the same way that palm sugar would in a Thai curry. It helps balance out the heat. And it works really nicely. So, Because one of the only sort of wines that... Well, I don't know if it's the only one. It's one of the ones that I heard of um, a, a little while ago mm. was the Gewürztraminer yeah. was... Oh, that's what you have with um, either with Chinese or spicy curry. food. Yeah, because it's Curries. spicy. And it often feels... They see, Gewürz is much lower in alcohol... Um, much lower in acid than Riesling and often has higher alcohol levels. So but those two things together often make it feel like it's sweet, even if there's only a small amount of residual sh- sugar, because ah. it magnifies that sense. Right. Um, and it's naturally a really spicy grape variety, so you've got characteristics like ginger in it as one of the classic tasting notes of the Gewürz. We okay. should maybe do a deep dive into Gewürz. Maybe we should. Maybe we I should. I just like saying Gewürz. Exactly. Gewürz, yeah. 
<laughs> oh, you're going to get us into trouble. You really are. <laughs> well, we played football oh. the other night. You know, oh, we've we've done, you're just, just a free for all. Now. Oh yes, absolute free for We've all. got to make the most of it. No, we love we love our friends over in Germany and Austria. I've got yeah. very very deep good friends in uh, in those places, and um, and they and you know what we mock because we love. Exactly. That's what Those closest to us. That's what I keep saying to Gemma. I you can see you, you yeah, digging just, a hole just, again. Big trouble, yeah. always. There you go. I get used to it. But yeah, food-wise, so obviously your curries from Thai to Chinese and things, if you don't fancy gewurz, which is more of a Marmite wine, I think, possibly for a lot of people. Yeah. It's quite extreme in character, particularly from Alsace sometimes. Mm-hmm. So some people just don't like it. They find it too hedonistic, too floral, sort of rose petals and lychees and things, whereas a Riesling can be a bit more subtle. So good sect, so a sparkling. If it's dry, amazing with your seafood. Good with things like linguine, anything like that, it'll work nicely with. Great with vegetables as well, but also good aperitif. Mm. Dry styles of Riesling work more or less across the board as well. You can try them with all sorts of things, but so from white meats. Slightly sweet Rieslings are really good with cheeses. In fact, it's one of the most diverse cheese wines you can find. Every week it's cheese, isn't it? Every week. You know my obsession with cheese is nearly (laughs) as serious as my obsession with wine. <laughs> it's no hope. Well, quick question. I, I probably or possibly this... even my obsession with gelato because that's my latest obsession. Oh right. Yeah. Okay. I'll bear that in mind. Um, ju- just uh, you've probably answered this before, but what's the ideal temperature for? Is all white wine no. got a more or less the same, or or do you need to vary it and think about it? Yeah. Oh, come on then, Riesling. Where what are we looking at there? Cold, oh, cold. Think, no, I don't think it should be fridge temperature, but maybe it can be a little bit cold. So if you think you bring it out the fridge, it's probably about five degrees. Okay. I would say between six, seven, and ten degrees. So you might want to bring it out the fridge half an hour before you drink it. Yeah, something I think like so, that. Yeah, and you probably it can be very cold and work. And if it's for, if it's a sweeter style, that coldness will in a way temper the sweetness. It won't feel as. Yeah. Um, but it will bring out more of the acidity potentially if it's a dry style. So just sometimes a little bit of air and a little bit of warmth lets it all open up, and you get the aromas because it is an aromatic variety. You don't want them too dumbed down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I, 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 it's the same every week with this mm. show. I sit here thinking, right, I just, it's a, I don't know what's happening with the weather at the moment. I want to go home now, sit in the garden, yeah. on the patio, and have a sect. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. With, with, with which crisps are you going to go for, Brian? Well, I might just take some of these um, beef <laughs> monster. I don't think it's going to go well with beef, is it? I, I don't think that a, that a beef hula hoop is the match made in heaven on the crisp front. Yeah. But, but I do think that... You, you could go for a nice nice stir-fry this evening and have a glass of Riesling with it. Could be, or I'm tempted by a Wiener schnitzel. Oh, schnitzels are great. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. So, um, do you know what? You're trying to put it off. I am. You're trying to string it out, but this is the moment that the whole of the Thames Valley has been waiting for because it is time now to challenge Kath. world where questions need answers one woman has all the answers to the questions that i have apart from this one i might catch her out oh yeah quite, because quite often i don't think like, what you asked what was last week you offered me something pretty obscure last week yeah i did and this one is well let's see let's see how this goes um so really this has been um aerating in front of you for the last half an <laughs> Ta- hour or so taunting me taunting you um so please uh, take your um uh, take your i uh, think now 
I'm not going to give you any clues. I just want you to tell me what you think that is, what's different about it, what... (laughs) Now, that face that Kath has just pulled is one of confusion, disgust, and... Is this from Brian's garden? (laughs) (laughs) Is this this my eyes fine? No, no, it's not. So now Kath is smelling it. She's got her nose deep into the glass and is looking very confused and not overly happy i'm a bit scared to taste this if i'm honest (laughs) so you should be (laughs) what are your initial thoughts kath well what are you thinking what's going through your head it's weird okay i don't want to say something that's insulting and then find out what it is that's okay no no no. you won't insult me so it has a strange fruitiness going on but then it smells a bit like vinegar (laughs) (laughs) but it's yeah Kind of herby thing going on. I'm a bit scared. I'm going to taste it. Okay, so you're, you're going to go for the taste. That's not a good reaction. In fact, it's almost like you're gonna. You need a spittoon for that, don't you? Wowzers! That's like this is this is available. That's got no alcohol, has it? Unbelievable! You're right. It's alcohol-free. That's why I've got that face. Oh my goodness! I thought you'd never get that, and you got it straight away. <laughs> That's what you get with a master of wine. There you go. Oh, you've you've beaten me. I was so but confident. That's really phenolic. What does that mean? Like the tannins. It's like the tannins. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think they try and cover up the fact that there's no crisp or alcoholness in it by overloading it with other stuff. I guess. So, what are your thoughts then? Yay or nay? Would you go for that? Nay. Nay. No, I'd, I'd probably just go for a glass of Ribena. It'd be I'd much say, nicer. I'd say, yeah, get yourself a glass of Ribena or just have a glass of water if you want hydrating. <laughs> so, what were you getting from it? Was there anything, at any point, did you think, yeah, that does... It's weird because it feels kind of lacking. Okay. And you realise that even in a light style of wine, so for the listeners, it's actually red. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's a good, that's good thing. It yeah. 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 That you... Yeah, you feel that, that even a light style of wine, the presence of the alcohol seems to round it out a bit more and support everything else in it. So they've taken that away and everything else is just sticking out a bit. The acidity and the phenolics. Right. The tannins are like a little bit scary. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so not, not, not your favourite um, wine. But actually, I, I am totally impressed that you, you <laughs> got that so quick, that that is just... So is it made from a grape that we would recognise? Well, Let's have a look. <clears throat> It's got a pretty, well, yeah. Mm. Mm. I was going to say a quite a nice label, but the huge alcohol-free on the top is quite... Scary. Um, I don't know. I can't really see. It doesn't say particular grape. It just, um, it says... Uh, see, it smells like violets when you first smell it, and then it smells a bit like fruit, and then it smells like vinegar. <laughs> well, th- I t- I'll be honest with you. Um, the reason it's <laughs> you opened open, it thought, oh, this is awful. I'll leave it for a week. For no, it, it wasn't me. It, <laughs> it was actually on Tuesday. <laughs> so it's only, it's only a couple yeah. of But I said to... Last uh, Tuesday. No, no, this one got... I said to Gemma, oh, I've got a, a bottle of wine in the back of the car. When you're down there, can you grab it 
and and we'll have that and watch the football. So it might have been Monday actually. Was that it Tuesday? That would be a very disappointing football wine Tuesday. And she came up and she she opens that and pours it out and I go, what the? <laughs> That's why it's half empty. Um, and I go, oh no, that was for Challenge Cat. We're not supposed to drink it. It's dreadful. Right. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Thank you so much for treating me, Brian. <laughs> you can have it with a beef uh, hula hoop if you like, just to finish it off. Um, apparently, you can still get drunk with non-alcoholic wine and stuff because there is a placebo effect. Can you believe that? Don't go anywhere because that is pretty much the end of today's show. show. It is. Coming up a bit later on, listen, tonight at six to nine, Annabelle Knight, star of uh, things like This Morning, of Big Brother's Bit on the Side. She is hosting um, her shows on sex and relationships and tonight it's going to get frisky because she's talking about doms. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why Dom is frisky. No, 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 domination, I think. If we, if, if... 